another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is episode, guess what episode number this is, sweetie? Let's see, 262. You are absolutely, I don't know, because my website isn't pulling up. I think it's 261, because okay. I think last week was 260. All right, well, uh, I'll tell you, because last week we talked about kids and sports, we if sure you want to hear that. Yeah, that was 260, so this is 261. So what's Zen Parenting? It's a podcast that if you listen to it, you will feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember what our motto is, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, you're going to tell a story or two about your weekend. Correct. You went to Emerging Women, which is in San Francisco. It was this year. Home of the Giants and the Niners. I went by that stadium. And you uh, just got back yesterday. So I we're going did. to tell a few stories about that. Uh, I'm going to read a quote that I really liked from a book that I'm reading. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, our conference. Yeah, but you know what today is really about? I realized as we were talking. What is it? It's about personal responsibility again. Okay. It really is. I mean, because I think that's the thread that weaves through everything that we're going to share today. Mm-hmm. And we we have an over-scheduled schedule. Today? Yes. Yeah, we think? have too much. <laughs> we, we've left four things off the list. But the, the common thread is, again, self-awareness and personal responsibility. Shocking. Yes. It's- quite seems to be a reoccurring theme for our show. So go ahead. So do we want to talk about the whole partner thing? Um, sure. Why don't you say our partners real quick? Our three partners. I'm going to say all three of them right now. Uh, Tree of Life, and that's at chirotree.com. John J. Kelly, who's a dentist in the northwest side of Chicago, and the chicagodentistonline.com. An Avid company, uh, painting and remodeling in the Chicagoland area, and that's at avidco.net. So the reason I'm starting with our partners is because we actually received a lovely message from one of our listeners, and she loves our show, and she had all these accolades. So thank you so much to the lady. I don't know if she wants me to use her name, so I'll keep it off. Thank you for the kind words. And she also gave us some honest feedback, which I also appreciate. Um, One of the bits of feedback was the whole partner spots that we say is kind of annoying. And believe me, I understand. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, The reason uh, I'm bringing it up is because our partners actually... Uh, make it possible for us to do this podcast. Correct. So, and we happen to handpick our partners too. We are, there are businesses that we adore. Um, so I, I say to the other people out there who are sick of hearing us talking about our partners is I understand, especially if you're a weekly listener of the show, you could probably be doing the lines that I do. They could recite it. They can yeah. recite it. Um, and especially if you're from out of town, because a lot of people do not live in the Chicagoland area. So does no does them no good to hear it. And I understand. And for those people, you always have the option of pressing the fast forward button on your phone, which is what I do with a lot of my podcasts. Right. Fast forward 15 seconds. And even if you live in Chicago and you don't want to hear the spots, you can fast forward. The only thing I ask is that if you are in a position where you need any of these three services, that you take advantage of them because they're partners that support us and we want to give back to them for supporting us. And they're also three pretty amazing businesses. They are. Um, I heard a quote this week and it made me laugh. And it's if you're working authentically, you're smoking what you're selling. Mm-hmm. And we smoke what we sell. We with do. this because we go to all three of these yes. people. Yeah. Um, we smoke a lot. <laughs> a lot of smoking. What we're selling. Chicks cannot hold a smoke. That's, <laughs> That's what, what it is. is. Um, so we the reason we talk about them is because we authentically love them. Now, on the same note, um, something – and this woman who wrote to us isn't the only one who said that. No, no. A, a lot, lot of people, people are a lot like, of your, uh, A lot of your friends Yeah, said they're that. like, quit talking about your partners. I'm like, you guys, this is free content. Right. Like podcasts are free. And part of that is, you know, understanding that we have to have – 
a way to make a living. And on that note, um, other another comment that we got was about um, uh, don't talk so much about your other business Our or other events. self-promotion. And that kind of made me laugh a little, not because it's not great feedback, but because Zen Parenting Radio, we adore it. And I think it's probably our favorite part of our work. Yes. Um, but at the same time, we have other parts of our business that it would be silly to not tell our listeners what we're doing, not so we can pat ourselves on the back, Mm -hmm. but so if we don't talk about our conference on this show, who's going to talk about it? Yeah. And if I don't talk about the fact that we have a screening, which Mm -hmm. we're doing for our community, that doesn't make sense. So I understand that for some, it It gets annoying. It gets annoying to you. And, and we respect that because everybody has a right to their opinion and we take all feedback into consideration, but sometimes we get those a lot, the partners and you guys do a lot of self-promotion, but you have to understand that's the whole point. Yeah. Like we, those are the things that keep us running. So if we got rid of those, we wouldn't. And the things we're promoting, we feel have value. Of course. It's um, right. It's, so uh, to that end, why don't we, uh, we, we actually, I, I put on another shameless self-promotion at the end of every podcast and it's about 60 seconds long correct. and that's some of the books and some other and things. And we did that. That because we didn't want to do so much promotion yeah. within the podcast. That way people can tune out on purpose at the end of the show. Right. But for the events, we've decided to integrate that into the context of the show. You know why? Because they come and go. Yeah. Like, for example, tomorrow, uh, tonight, which Tuesday, October 13th, we have at uh, Fitz's uh, Spare Keys, we have our balance discussion. It's me and Rita Highland, who's a, a master life coach, and Lorna Samadis, who is owner of The Daily Method. And we're going to talk about balance. We've already got a good group coming. So please... Please register. And if you don't register, you can come to the door. Yep. It's $20. So we're going to be downstairs at Fitz's. The other thing is The Hunting Ground on Wednesday, November 18th. It's a documentary. Todd and I watched it. I've watched it twice because there's two versions, a longer version and a shorter. You guys, you got to see this. Okay, It's too important not to show this documentary. When Todd and I were watching it, we kept looking at each other like for real. Mm-hmm. And it's not a gang up on guys, you guys. What is, is the screening about? Uh, What's The Hunting the Ground? The screening is about, um, it is about rape culture on college campuses. And I use that culture word because it's not just about the sexual assault. It It's what happens after the yeah. sexual assault occurs. We've got, we've, we have this, this silencing mm-hmm. about what's really happening and it causes an implosion. And it is an issue that we need to talk about and bring out into the open. So that's on November 18th. That is, we've got a ton of ticket sales for that already. Yeah. Um, people are really wanting to come to that, which I'm really happy. And then the third thing, of course, is our conference, March 11th and 12th. And Todd and I have good news for you guys. We created a coupon code. Um, yay. Thrifty McSaves a lot loves coupon codes. And we created it because a listener said, hey, do you guys have a coupon code? Yeah. Yeah. And we were like, hey, let's have a coupon So code. it's, it, but it's going to expire. We only have 20. I only put in for 20 people could use the coupon code. And what do you get off? Um, 10%. 10% off for the first 20 people who register for the conference between now and when the 20 runs out. Correct. And the coupon code is ZENFRIEND, Z-E-N-F-R-I-E-N-D, ZENFRIEND, no capitals, just no space in no between. spaces. And you put that in when you get your ticket. So those are the three things. And again, um, I say those to you guys, as Todd said, not to be, um, to say, hey, look at what we're doing, but to say, here, you guys, here's something you can do. Mm. Um, Because one of the things we love about our work is that even though we get to do what we love and talk about it, it really changes, it, it makes a shift for other people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We're uh, like a vehicle. Yeah. We, well, we start the process and then people take it and run with it on their own. Right. We don't have to be 
a part of it anymore. So, um, so that's it. So let's move on to content. Um, why don't you start and talk about your weekend a little bit? Okay. So one of the stories I wanted to share, um, I went to a conference this weekend, uh, called emerging women live and, uh, it's my third year. It was in Colorado. It was in New York. And this weekend it was in San Francisco. Um, and I go every year because there's amazing speakers and I really feel like I'm with my tribe in this conference. Um, it's, you know, just amazing people who inspire me and who remind me of all the things we can be doing. Um, so one of the speakers uh, that was going to be there on Sunday, I was not able to see. She was the ending keynote speaker, and I was really bummed about that. Um, so I was at a breakout session on Saturday. When did I post that? I, I think you posted on Friday. on Friday. And I'll even say about breakout sessions, and Todd knows this about me. When I go to conferences, and we go to a lot of them, breakout sessions just – tend to grinds your <laughs> grinds your gears, sweetie. Grinds my gears. And not because I don't think they're worthwhile. They are. But I have to tell you guys that I was an education major. Then I went to school to get my master's in social work. And then I became a parent coach and I did yoga training. And the thing, the common element in all of these is I had to do a buttload of partner work, teamwork, and like role playing. That's quite a load, sweetie. It's a it's not a normal load. It's a buttload. <laughs> So much role playing, like where you have to pretend that you're talking to a client. And I have like, it's like it got all used up, Yes, you know? And so when I go to a conference, I like to sit and listen and I like to just kind of take in information. So breakouts sometimes are really heavy on partner work and group work and I sometimes don't go. But for some reason on Friday, there was a breakout session. It was about feminine power. And I was like, you know what? I got to do this. I got to like, you know, swallow whatever I'm frustrated about and just do this. And I came in to the back and sat next to this woman. Didn't think much about it because I came in late. And I so thought you were she, in the back? We were in the last See, row. So you usually sit in the front because you're a little bit of a brown noser. I know. I am. I but not it. when it comes to breakout partner works. It, well, not when it comes to breakouts because sometimes if the I'll listen. And then if in the breakout they Bail. say things like, okay, now bring up your inner teenager and turn to the person next to you and pretend you're a teenager. I, I just, that just, just not your thing. does nothing for me because I had to do it so much. Yeah. And I, I'm just think it makes And the other thing is it's inauthentic and it's not inauthentic, in, but for it you, is, it feels inauthentic. Yeah, it's forced. I, so anyway, I sat down in the back and at one point, of course, after an amazing discussion in this breakout, um, we, had to turn to our partner and start talking about the things we did when it comes to feminine power. So I turned to this woman, I kind of grabbed her hand and we shook hands and it was lovely. And, and I started telling her about BU, about working with fifth grade girls and working with mothers and working with parents and, you know, feminine energy and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> I went on and on. And then she listened and nodded and thought it was great. And then she was about to start. She goes, well, wait a second. She goes, um, by the way, my name is Terrorai. And that meant a lot to you. And it <laughs> meant nothing to me. <laughs> I just started laughing so hard because she, Tara I. Trent, was the keynote speaker on Sunday that I was not going, going to be, be able, able to, to see. Right. And for those of you who don't know who Tara I. Trent is, if you ever watched Oprah, 
she was Oprah's favorite guest of all time. Of all time. And I remember that, I don't remember her, but I remember when we went, we saw that episode, there was 10. She did a countdown. She did a countdown. And Maddie J was my favorite. Maddie Stepanek, who was our favorite guest ever. And I was, I remember being mad at Oprah for not picking Maddie J. He was second. As the number two. Right. He should have picked, she should have picked Maddie J as number one. And you're saying that this, that Oprah made a good choice by. Well, that is how I heard of her. Yes. You know, the reasons Oprah made the choice were her own. But How's that piece of string on your shirt? I can't get it off me. You it's keep bugging trying me. to get a string off your shirt. <laughs> it's a hair, I think, from my head. Um, so it's, it's a long hair problem. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, I started laughing so hard and I said, no way am I talking to you about this right now? And she said, she grabbed my name tag and she looked at it and flipped it back and forth. She goes, how do you know me? She was so confused how I knew her. And I started to laugh even more. I go, are you kidding me? And then I recited- She she doesn't know that you breathe all this information in on a daily basis. And And that she has been a story that when I heard it the first time on Oprah, I read all about it. And then when she was her favorite guest, I read all about it. I was inspired by her in terms of us doing a school for girls. Interesting. Which our life changed and we decided to do different things. But when we created BU, we envisioned a school. Yeah. Not like a a brick and and mortar, but like in, you know, an, an emotional intelligence school. So I was completely inspired by her. So, so funny that I was telling her about BU and, and she said, how do you know me? And then I went on to recite her whole story to her, like that she was from Zimbabwe. What was her reaction as you- She was laughing. She thought it was hilarious. Imagine if someone came up to you and started telling you, you know, all these things they know about you. And And unless, uh, you know, this woman, even though she was Oprah's number one guest, probably doesn't get flagged down walking down the street very often. Well, and I can say, skipping ahead, even though I'll finish the story in a second, is that when we left the breakout session, she then wandered around the main floor. Nobody looks at her or stops her. I mean, she's in pretty amazing clothes. Like she was in like a bright, beautiful dress and she does have her hair. Like part of it is down. um, I can't really explain it. You'd have to look at the picture, but she does have a very interesting, wonderful look. Like it, it looks like she is from Zimbabwe. Whenever I notice people from Africa, they always have very colorful clothes. It's a big part of the culture. And that's, and that's what I mean is that she stood out in her own way, Mm -hmm. but there were so many people at this conference. It was such a diverse group of women from all over the globe. So she didn't stand out the way she would stand out in Chicago, maybe. So, but people just walked right by her. Like they didn't, nobody really knew who she was on site. They just know her name. So then I, you know, I went on to tell her that story and, you know, her whole life story. And she just thought that was hilarious. And how was the rest of the breakout? Did you do a lot of work amongst the context of the breakout? The whole time that we were, um, partnered up, I said, can we just, can I just ask you questions? Can we pretend we're not at this breakout? <laughs> she was totally fine with it. Yeah. Cause she was, she was in the back too. I'm sure she came to listen. I don't think Tara I. Trent needs to do a ton of partner work to figure out what she wants to do. Yeah. And for those and, of you, yeah, who is she? I was going to say, for those of you who don't, I still can't get this hair, that don't know her, the real basic story is that she's from Zimbabwe. Uh, obviously, the women in her culture, the women that surrounded her did not see any path for education um, because that just hadn't been shown to her before. That wasn't role modeled. It turns out that a woman from the States came over, and I think with the Red Cross, um, but th- th- that may not be correct. It was something Peace Corps-ish. Right. And and happened to say to Terai, if you dream it, you can do whatever you want. Nice. And she had never heard that before. So she actually wrote down her dreams, which was she wanted to get a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, and a PhD, put them in a can, 
and buried it in the ground because her grandmother told her to do that. She said, if you bury it in the ground, then, uh, you know, obviously it metaphorical, grow. it'll right. grow. And she, there's all sorts of pieces to this story, but I'm making it much shorter. She eventually came to the States and she did all three of those things. And she now, um, now her biggest message though, is you do these things and you bring back your education and your understanding to your community. So you don't just go out there and then just do your own thing. You give back to your community. Right. So she went back to Zimbabwe and she's building 11 schools for girls. Crazy. And much of it funded by Oprah. That was a gift that Oprah gave her at that last show. Mm -hmm. um, so Oprah's a big part of it. Um, and so she's just doing these amazing things in the world. And like I said, she was the closing keynote speaker at this conference that had Liz Gilbert, Brene Brown, Esther yeah. Perel. So it, it was pretty intense. But she was just so great. Right. And so... The funny part of this story is we obviously, you know, ended and hugged and I was just told her I was just so honored to be with her. And and then I was kind of still vibing from that. Like I was completely energized by that. And another person who was at this conference was Tara Moore, who um, she wasn't speaking this year, but she was there. And Todd and I got to know her because we had her on the show. So I ran into her after this whole thing with Tara I. Trent. And I was like telling her this story. I was like, Tara, I just, you know, you know, did this, I had just partnered with Tara I. Trent. And the, before she told me who she was, I was telling her all about BU. And I'm so embarrassed that I was telling her such, you know, a such small, a small thing. Yeah. We, we talked to 24 <laughs> girls in our community. In our community. And, and I'm saying this to Tara Moore, who wrote the book, Playing Big. Right. She looked at me, she goes, no, you did right. your thing and she did so her basically thing. you were presenting yourself as something smaller than you <laughs> yes. were and she held you accountable and she called did. you out on that she did and good it, for you tara i know and it was kind of funny because of all people to see next after that experience yeah, was tara just Moore. so happened yeah you know so i don't have any you know a lot of people wrote things like uh, i post this on facebook so this may not be a new story for those of you who are on facebook but a lot of people like this is serendipity or the universe, and it is in many, many ways. But I, I, I just thought it was great. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I just, instead of saying why this happened or trying to dig deep or think that I, I just like to enjoy that. Yeah. Because there's, that's just a gift. Well, and that's one of the amazing things. Like, you know, we're having our conference in March, and, you know, we're having Shafali and John O'Sullivan, all these wonderful speakers, and you can read their books. Sure. You can watch their TED Talks. Sure. Why would you ever want to go to the conference and spend money and invest your time and resources? And my thing is something magical happens yes. when you are in the same room. And I'm not even just talking about the people speaking. I'm talking about the people who attend. There is this energy that gets created. And that was this conference idea was your idea from the get-go. But I feel like there is something that magical that happens when we're together for a day and a half that you otherwise cannot do from your reading your book or being on your computer. You can't access it. And, that, and your story is an example like that. Exactly. That, you know, when you are in a room, this is why I go back to emerging women every year, no matter where it is. When you are in a room with women who inspire you or men, because our conference is for men and women, um, you something changes in you. You get reignited. You reawaken to what's possible because these people are on stage and they're from all over the world. It's not just your community. It's people everywhere. And so whenever anyone says nobody's doing anything or, you know, you know, nothing good is happening in the world, baloney. I mean, I'd use a different word, but since this is a podcast, there are people doing amazing things, men and women, and you have to make, you have to bring yourself to the table to see them. Um, I have an interesting thing. Um, 
you know that whenever you watch YouTube, there's that commercial that comes on so often and it's the guy and he's holding his phone and he's like, just got my new Lamborghini. Do you know this guy? Mm-mm. His name is Ty Lopez. And I, and he, and he's like boasting about the money that he makes. And yeah. then he, and then he turns around and you see all the books that he's read and he's talking about, um, the reason he got these Lamborghinis is because he read and he educated himself and he did all these things. And the guy has always kind of annoyed me, but for the, for the kicks, I, um, watched his Ted talk Okay, and I'm like, I just want to see what the deal is. And you know, I, he's not my favorite guy, but right. the one thing I got out of his Ted talk is the importance of mentorship. Mm. And one, the, my, my, my takeaway from listening to his Ted talk was you need to spend as a person, a 30, a third of your time with people that are, let's say on your plane. And mm. you know, plane is, is a, is a tricky word, but somebody that you have people a lo- that you feel like you have a lot in common with, you think the same way. Exactly. Right. You need to spend a third of your time with with people that are not as far as you are so you can mentor them. Okay. And you need to spend a third of your time with people that you need to be mentored by. Mm. And this is one of those cases. The reason you go to emerging women is because you want to be mentored by these highly quote unquote successful women. That's right. And that is what a lot of it is about. As a matter of fact, I think I'm going to end up talking about that in one of my tribe meetings is the importance of mentorship because I think as men, we think we know it all. Right, and I or think, that you're supposed to. Or we're supposed to, and we would not uh, lower ourselves to think that we don't know it all. And I think mentorship is is a, a topic that I don't think you and I have discussed enough on the podcast, so maybe we will sometimes. Yeah, and, and mentorship comes in many forms, because a lot of people assume it looks like you call up a therapist, or you call up someone, and you call them your mentor, and then you go meet for lunch and talk, and that can be a version of mm-hmm. it. But it can also be, like Todd said, learning, even if you're just sitting in an audience, yeah. from people who have done more than you, who have seen more than you, who have experienced more than you. And you know what, Todd? I'm going to take it a different direction. Okay. I, um, as I say a lot, I, I teach at Dominican University and many of my students um, are from Chicago mm-hmm. and they're from very different neighborhoods. Um, majority of my students are Latino or Polish or African-American and they know so much more than I do yeah. about their neighborhoods. Yeah. And so a lot of times, they sometimes they speak out in class, but a lot of times I'll get emails where they'll correct me about something or where they will say, wait a second, this wasn't true in my neighborhood. Right, well, they have a life experience that, that you can never have. Be a, have access to. So they are my mentors too. But, so, so sometimes it's not just educational level as it is. And, and again, mentor, I know what you mean. The definition is a little different. Maybe I'd say they're my teachers too. Well, I think every time we go in teaching anything, we have something to learn yes. as a result of the teaching. Yes. But sweetie, what about the baseball players in your class? <laughs> I love them. They they listen to this show, so I am only going to say that I appreciate the hard work they put in to not only doing their education, but they play their sport, they work three jobs, and a lot of my students are going beyond what I think an adult could even possibly do. And sometimes they're exhausted. They're tired. They're tired. Uh, That's what's tough, man. Being at a, at a school and doing a sport, it, you know, is, if it's not intramurals, if it's a real sport, it's about four hours a day oh, yeah. for a small time program. If it's like a big time program, it's probably like six or seven hours a day, throw on top of your classes and your homework and everything else. And I have had, I usually, I have a, a Dominican 
is really well known for soccer too. And so I've had a lot of athletes and volleyball too. I've had a lot of uh, girl volleyball players. They come to me and they will say, just so you know, this is my schedule. And some days I'm exhausted because we go till. So I'm very cognizant or try to be of their lifestyle because for me to have the same expectation of them every single day, some, you know, like, uh, uh, Don Miguel Ruiz, who talks about your best is different every day or do your best and that shows up differently. Sometimes my student's best on Thursday is very different than it is on Tuesday. And I know that. A lot of times on Thursday, I show more TED Talks or I have more, you know, time for them to contemplate or write because they are living lives. They're human beings. I remember one time I was in Spanish class in high school and one of the guys fell asleep and my Spanish teacher was so cool. She's like, let him sleep. He's tired. Whereas most of my other teachers would, like I had one uh, math teacher and he would throw chalk at the kid who's sleeping. (laughs) And you know, here's the thing. It doesn't mean, this is similar to parenting. It doesn't mean that we're like, oh, let him sleep and he can come in here every day and sleep. It means if this is not a common occurrence, then let's be compassionate. Yeah, the kid didn't sleep all the time. He was sleeping. He happened to be sleeping and she she had compassion She had compassion. Now, maybe she also emailed him Mm -hmm. and said, you know what? There was no email back when I was well, in Well, yeah, sweetie. you're right. That was a dumb one. Um, maybe, but now yeah. if that happened, if I had a student who was yeah, Instead of embarrass in, him in front of the yes. class, say, hey, Dude, you, you got to show up ready. Yeah. Or what can I do to help you? Or what's going on that's keeping you from completely staying awake? Um, you know, it doesn't mean, compassion doesn't mean permissive. It means having humanity about it and understanding, aren't you tired sometimes at work? Don't you know what that feels like? And are you playing baseball? And are you going to three jobs? And are you also studying for five classes worth of tests and papers? Like, the, they're not robots. Right. They're people. Right. So um, so do we want to go to my quote that mm-hmm. I like, or do we want to go to our listeners' thing? Or do you uh, want me to, to choose? Go to the quote. So the quote is, I wrote it down. I'm reading a book called King, Warrior, Magician, Lover. and um, Say that again. You said King, it King, Warrior, Magician, Lover. And it's all about masculinity. And I'm going into this weekend with the Mankind Project where I'm staffing a retreat. I'm part of the staff. And the author of the book happens to be staffing it with me. And his name is Robert Moore. Cool. And I just, uh, it's been, this book has been on my list for a long time. Uh, but one of the biggest takeaways I took at from reading it so far, is a quote. And the quote is, we must take responsibility for the things we are not responsible for. Mm. So when I heard that, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. But then I kept on reading. And basically what he meant is that there's a lot of things that happen to us that are unfair. It's kind of like my Aunt Ruth always saying, "Life. nobody ever told you life was going to be fair. Yeah. But yet we still make, we must take responsibility for these things, for these events, for, you know, maybe you're abused as a kid or maybe you didn't have any money and you're worried about putting food on the table or maybe this or maybe that. But the thing is, we must take responsibility for it because... What else are you going to do? If you're not going to do that, you're going to play the victim role. Correct. And is there a space to be a victim? Maybe. But if it controls your life, then you're you're not getting as much out of your life as you can. Is there space to grieve a loss? Is there space for a trauma? Mm-hmm. See, the thing I think, something that that you and I have both learned over time and a lot of practice is we don't take a trauma and heal it all the way through where we never think about it anymore. 
you have a trauma and there's going to be a piece of it that always lives in you. And when it comes up into your mind or into your emotion, instead of saying, oh, I should have healed that, or why isn't that healed? What is it still giving you? What is it teaching you? What is it allowing you to access that maybe you couldn't access without that traumatic experience? You know, like um, something that's accessible to a lot of women who listen to this show. I've had two miscarriages. And of course, the trauma of that still lives in me or the grief experience or just the experience. Mm -hmm. We don't, the words sometimes mess people up because the experience still lives in me and it is not something that I wake up crying about anymore, but it allows me to have an understanding of loss in a different way, how it feels, how it goes through you, how miscarriage isn't talked about enough in our society, um, how men experience it because of what you experienced. It's given me information. Well, I think it's a really um, good example of it because when I say, you know, we must take responsibility for things we are not responsible for, you know, maybe a lot of women would be like, well, I take responsibility over this miscarriage. I must've done something wrong. That's not what we're talking about. Sometimes stuff happens and we could, um, and there's space to grieve yes. and to feel sorry for yourself. Yes. And, you know, every culture, every person has a different way of processing grief. Like my grief with my mom was intense for a short while. Yeah. Other people's experience with with the loss of a loved one is maybe less intense, but it lasts a lot longer. My thing is if, if it starts becoming part of your identification is all these bad things happen to you. You're not doing yourself or the world any good. That's right. Like what it it leaves when you grieve and you process something through, it leaves jewels inside of you. It leaves strength inside of you. It leaves a new awareness. But if it's something that you haven't fully worked through, it it creates heaviness. Yeah. Um, do you remember Todd and I, <laughs> we decided to start watching a new, a new show together. And so we've watched one episode of Six Feet Under. Yeah. We, we haven't gone any further than that. Yeah. We're but one in. We're one we got in. like 150 to go. <laughs> By the way, I don't think I'm going to be able to last through that series. I, I'm already very interested, and this is an example of why. Do you remember when the guy from Parenthood? Yeah. Okay. Adam. Adam. But I don't know his name in Six Doesn't Feet Under. doesn't matter. He's Adam. He talked about, because he was dealing with his father's you know death, and he remembers seeing the women meet the casket. And I don't remember where he was, a different country, different culture. They would meet the casket of their loved one. Oh, yeah. And they would, it, I think it's called keening. Mm-hmm. I, and it might, I'm not sure. Will you look that up for me? Because sure. I hate to give that information if it's not factual. It might be K-E-E-N-I-N-G or K-E-A-I or N-I-N-G. Wail in grief for a dead person. Keening. Yes. Keening is and you actually talked about how when your grandmother died you heard your mother keening and you oh, yeah. didn't call it that yeah. but your mother went into like almost animal primal yeah. Yeah. sounds because yes. Todd's grandmother great grandmother was Sharon was Todd's uh, mother's most important person was her grandmother yes and she actually lived with Todd's family and became Todd's most important person right. When she died, when Inga died, and that is our oldest daughter's middle name, Inga. Mm-hmm. When Inga died, your mom was very stoic about it in front of you guys. Yeah, that day she came home from the hospital and all she did was she just shook her head. And I took that to mean that she did not make it through the ambulance came and all that. And I kind of 
wailed and she was strong. She was the she, rock. She did the mom she thing. She did not allow she did the mom thing. She did not allow herself to grieve in that moment. Later that night, when I went to bed and I had all these tears out and I felt better because I created this space, yep. she went into it. And you heard her and you said it was very primal. Mm-hmm. Um and when your mom died, um, you did that. Yes. And I was there in the space when Todd was doing that. And I think we've all done it. Um, you could call it keening, you can call it grieving, you can call it crying. Our children know how to naturally do it. Um, yeah, and you they're have, in touch with it. They're in touch with it. And you guys, just to give you a little background on tears, um, number one, we have tears that just form in our eyes to like keep our eyes lubricated, yeah. right? We also have tears that come to our eyes whenever we get like dust in our eye mm-hmm. and they're, it's completely pretty much clear. It's just we tear up to kind of move the dust out. The third kind of tear is an emotional cry. And if we have an emotional cry, not only do we have the water in our eyes that we have for the other two, there's also stress hormones mm-hmm. in those tears. So what you are releasing, there is different water in a, an emotional cry. You are actually relieving yourself of stress through the, re- the release of that tear. And then imagine on top of that, your body is heaving because that's what keening is. You're just going into these heaving. Um, yeah, go ahead. I know now why you cry, but it's something I can never do. What's that from? Terminator? Which one? Two. Very good. Thank you. I now know why you cry, but it's something I could never do. Because he's a robot. Because he's a robot. And does he really know why we cry? Because he's a robot. No, he can understand it. He just can't do it. I identify with Arnold. <laughs> okay. I w- want to hear my other Arnold. This is from Running Man. Okay. I won't do it. They are innocent when she didn't down there. All they need is food for God's sakes. Who is he in that movie? He's the running man. He just freaking runs. He just runs. He's a runner. He was running. That's Forrest. I was running. Um, I could run like the wind blows, Miss Blue. <laughs> So anyway, we're talking about grieving and keening and we're talking about... And we're also talking about funny and humor. Um, You're right, because they're connected. Yes. Because what happens to us after we have a huge grief session, meaning we just let all that out, what happens? We often end up laughing and not maybe in hysterics, but a relief. Our body has been relieved. Mm -hmm. And so... I started talking about Six Feet Under because... Keening, the ladies and the beach. Well, and so that was what he he demonstrated is that in certain cultures, that keening is essential. And do you think he was like dreaming that because that's something he wanted to be able to do? What he was recognizing, and for those of you who have seen every episode of Six Feet Under, you're probably so annoyed because we're talking about the pilot. Yeah. We haven't even really gotten into it. But what he was recognizing is that people in our culture are ridiculous about grieving because he was recognizing that because his parents ran this funeral home, that everybody acts so normal and stoic and they say stupid things like they're in a better place now and they and you know makeup on someone who has passed is kind of a metaphor Mm -hmm. for we pretend we kind of ice over what really happened i have an example of that okay let's hear personal example let's hear it happened on my deck a few Uh years ago Uh at my mom's house i give me more my dad was saying something not so kind and then uh his wife sarah stuffed um, tacos in his face. Yes. And it was so funny because I grew up in a house where weird things like that happened. Yes. And it was an unkind comment by my dad, and it was an unkind unkind gesture. Yeah. And then my mom uh, took Sarah in the house 
and consoled her. So first you have to, can I just sure, say please. who was there? So we're t- on Todd's deck <laughs> and you have to understand that Todd's mom came a really long way with making another connection with Todd's dad yes. because they were divorced and that didn't go so great. But they, they she came. would always take the high road and invite my dad over, even though it wasn't necessarily easiest thing to do. And she was also had a very cordial relationship with your dad's new wife, yes, um, who was named Sarah. So they, we were all on the deck eating, and it was you, me, John, Kathleen, Shane. So it was like your whole family, my whole family. So Todd's dad made an unkind comment. Sarah did the taco stuffed thing. tacos hard in his face, and then so I'm freaking out. <laughs> I mean, I've been in this family a long time, so I shouldn't say freaking out. Because I've seen a lot of things, but I and the great and our kids are watching. Our this. kids are watching. Well, they were kind of playing. Yeah, because they, I remember thinking if they had been, I think they were tuned in. So I start looking around at everybody, like, okay, what are we going to do? Like, are we going to get up and leave? Are we not in a? Are we going to yell at are somebody? We gonna, are we going to? What are we going to do? Like, I'm like in action, and I look around, and Todd just keeps eating. Yeah, tacos Everyone were just, good. Everybody just acted as if it didn't even happen. And you realize how that was, was essential when you were a kid. I was conditioned. I, I, if I had to, if I had a reaction every time something like that would happen, I would have burnt out. Exactly. So me and John were really good at submersing. Well, you suppressed it. Suppressed our emotions to protect ourselves. And Shane let him out a little bit more than we did, but that's just an example of pretending. Well, it would be like a great, not really great, because it's not at all funny in the in the grand scheme of things, but it would be a great sip, sitcom moment, because yeah. I'm like ready to be like, yeah, what's this is not okay, yeah. and we need to go, and not to make it worse, but to say we're not going to participate. Yeah. You know, my big thing is always, I'm not going to play. Yeah. If things get really heavy like that, I'm going to remove, remove myself, ourselves, especially with my children. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> was just kind of doing nothing. And then I don't think you and I talked about it until we got in the car on the ride home. Exactly. Like, we got what in the was car. that all about? And, and said, I'm like, what was what all about? What are we talking about? God. And I was like, what, what, what are we, you know, like we need like, to make a plan of what to do next time something like that happens. Yeah. And you totally heard that because I was in no way being critical of Todd. Like you're a jerk. I was saying that was weird for yeah. me as someone who that's weird. And I was a 41 year old man, mm-hmm. but we regress to when Our we childhood. were seven. That's right. We, we, I'm no longer a 41 year old man in that situation. I was, seven. I, I regressed back to seven years old and John regressed back to when he was nine and Shane regressed back to when she was five or right. whatever it is. Right. And that happens all the time. I mean, this is more of a family history um, commentary, but that's what we do. Like we still feel like we are little kids to our parents. And and so understand exactly, hear what Todd just said. When he was seven or eight, that served him because it allowed him to keep moving forward and to go through the day. It was a survival It mechanism. was survival. But now that he's in his 40s, he can I could, notice it. I, I could notice it and change a pattern. Exactly. With love. And I actually did that with another episode with my family that I'll choose not to share just in the last month or so. Yeah. Yeah, like you can, and again, everybody hear this because this is super important to me. You don't have to stand up and say, I will not stand for this. And you got, you don't have to come after You don't have to grandstand. You don't have to grandstand. You make a compassionate and loving decision for yourself. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that's 
this isn't okay. We're going to move to a new place in the house. Or sometimes it's, we love everybody here, but we got to go. We got to go. Because that was our new plan, I think, that we came up with, is if something like that gets all worked up, we are going to lovingly excuse ourselves. Thankfully, there wasn't much taco smashing after that. No, everything calmed down. It did. But it was, it's still, it's an energy. It's in the room. And of course, I talked to the girls about it. Mm -hmm. You know, once we got in the car, like... I want to talk about what we just saw because this is not about you guys. This is between them. It's a decision they've made in their relationship. So, and again, I don't slam their grandfather Mm -hmm. or Sarah because I love them. What I'm doing is allowing them to see their humanity. Well, this is another one of the conversations that we have to have. Is it easier to pretend it didn't happen and not have that conversation? Well, Kind of, but there are long-term effects that if you don't have these challenging conversations with your kids, then those those conversations that never happen add up and they create... And a belief system. Yeah. Or an understanding of how families work or a belief of how you react in a relationship or how you interact with another. Yeah. And the important thing is that I wanted them to know that there's many ways and that a lot of the decisions that are made by other people, it's because of their own pain or because of their own belief systems that were never challenged, right. you know? And so, um, and they're, they're actually, you know, we talk about how to teach our kids, think our kids things. Those are great opportunities. Yeah. And again, talking about being in child, a reason that a parent would not talk to their kids about that is they're still in child on the way home. Yeah. So they still are so afraid of what they just saw and experienced that they can't get out of that eight-year-old self and they don't have the capacity to talk to their kids about it because they haven't gotten their footing back. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So on the way home, you were no longer eight. No. So that was a great example, Todd. That was a very personal too. So I appreciate you I'm all about that. sharing that. So last thing before we check out here is we have a wonderful listener. I don't know if I'm allowed to say her name, but she wanted us to talk about this book, Susan Stifelman. Hi, I've been a listener for years. I was wondering, Susan Stifelman's recent book on one of your shows. I just finished it. She hasn't mentioned it. That's a bummer. Okay. Well, I'll look it up. Um, I'll look it up after I read this quote because okay. then you'll talk about it. There's the quote she wanted us to mention. Our difficulty in being fully present with whatever is going on with our children is fueled by the mismatch between our snapshot child who exists only in our imagination and the real flesh and bu- blood one in front of us. Correct. What do you think? Well, I think what she's saying in that quote, and I can't, I don't know the author and I haven't read it, but my belief system in that quote is that we have a dream and an image of what our children should be like and what they should do. A lot of it is based on how we were raised and what we did. And a lot of it is based on things we did in childhood that we don't want our kids to do. So we create a mental image of how we think they should act, which is completely opposite of what we did. And then when our children don't act that way, we get very offended or very angry or we try to change them or shame them or guilt them because it's not matching what's happening inside. Now, what we could do instead is the whole idea of presence is just paying attention to the moment. If your child is doing something that's like not matching up with how you feel it should be, it's like a perfect opportunity to stop get out of your head. And again, people are going to be like, well, Kathy, what do you mean? Just pay attention to what's happening right in front of you. Right. Instead of, I can't believe you're not, you know, um, you know, meeting the image that I have, or you're not fulfilling the dream I have, what's happening right now and how can I help you? Or, 
you, you know, like I, I feel like because we talked about sports last week, um, I know a lot of people whose children maybe are great at dancing or great at sports and the parents get really into it and they feel like they're ra- raising this child, this dream child. And then the child says, I'm done yeah. with dancing or sports. And the, and the parent is like, but my dream, yeah. the dream I have for You're you. You're not fulfilling my dream, kid. And the parent, and what we can do instead is pay attention to what they're saying and why. Yeah. Because if you can stay there in the moment with them, A, they may not really want to quit. They may just not like certain aspects of it, like it's taking up all my time or my coach is difficult or whatever. Or they may be ready to try something new or they may be exhausted. Instead of shaming them and telling them why they should fit this, this image in your head, can you be present for the person that is in front of you? Can you listen to this human being? And I will tell you something, parents, you have a ton of experience and a ton of life experience that I hope you share, but you do not know what's best for that kid in all way, shape, and form. The person who knows what's best for that kid is the kid. Boom. And when you listen to what they have to say, you can then make some adjustments around it. Meaning it doesn't mean if they say, well, I want to play video games all day. You say, okay, that's what you want. But you listen to what, what do you want from video games? Well, I wish I had more time to relax. Well, let's build some relaxation in. Part of it will be in video games, but part of it will be in another way. Do you see what I mean? Like, you have to be able to listen to your kids because they have limited communication of how to tell you what they need. Yeah. They have less words. They have less precision. Less experience. Less experience. And more fear because they don't want to disappoint you. This um, I, She's got a lot of books, but I think the one that was quoted is called Parenting with Presence. Okay. And she's kind of a big deal. She's got a, an endorsement from Eckhart. Eckhart. Eckhart says about her book, yes, children produce adults, but more important, Susan Stifelman's unique book shows you how... Children can produce conscious adults. Wonderful. Well, this sounds right up our alley, and I will. I'm, I have it written down. So, thank you to the listener who gave S- us this person's name. Sorry if I uh, am mispronouncing her name. It might be Stifelman. Okay. Or it might be Stifelman. Do you know why I can't order this book today? Because you have two books sitting on your desk from the weekend. No, I have five. Yikes! And two of them I'm halfway through. But sweetie, you read books in like a day, and I have been reading King, Warrior, Magician, Lover for about a month, (laughs) and I'm halfway through it. Well, I have about three chapters left in Big Magic. I have the Revolution left in um, in Brene's book because I kind of feel like the Revolution is the practice. Mm -hmm. So I'm I do want to read it. I'm not saying it's not worthy of my reading. It's just that I kind of feel like the essence is in the the reckoning and the rumble. And then I just got Esther Perel's book, and we're going to talk about her on the show later. Not this show, but a different show. And I just got Dr. Nahas, but I mean, I'm overwhelmed. So overwhelmed, I'm going to be honest with you. I My brain is crazy. Calgon, take me away time? Serious. I had to make a decision because I'm so full of information right now from other people because yeah. of this conference that I can't sit still. So I have to make the decision to back away from all of it. Like after we're done with the show, I'm going to Target. Yeah. Cameron, Cameron needs new shoes. And for some of you, that may sound stressful, but I need to get the hell away from my computer and my books. <laughs> to back up like 20 seconds ago. <laughs> I'm a little late. Um, so to close the show, I'm going to play a clip from a song called All the Way by Eddie Vedder. And he talks about, we live in Chicago. I'm a White Sox fan. I actually just wrote a blog about how I'm rooting for the Cubs, even though I'm a White Sox fan. I'm going to turn it Don't down a little bit. And I just want to say to all those Cubs fans, I really hope, I'm a Cubs fan. So I say to I myself, I, I hope we can do it. I hope Arietta pitches well. By the time you listen to this, it'll be last night. But go Cubs. 
Amen. Chicago, not only do the Cubs deserve it, Chicago deserves it. There, we In my family of origin, we have diehard Cub fans, and I would love for them to see this World Series. Is that too much pressure for today? They got a long way to go. I know, I know. They got to get out of the series, and then they got to win the championship series, and then they got to win the World Series. But I just, I, I just... I'm, I'm all for it, and I'm jealous of Cubs fans because they have so- a song as pretty as this to identify with. Let's live, let's believe, and have faith. That's right. The Sox, the Sox song was uh, "Don't Stop Believing" by Journey. <laughs> yeah, I remember Joe that. Joe Creedy, sweetie. It's all about Joe Creedy. Was it about Joe Creedy? I, the person who brought that to their attention was AJ Pierzynski. AJ, he's a bully. I loved AJ. I know you did. And I don't love bullies, but I loved him. He has a different personality than you did. I know. I think he was like my Jim Morrison. That's right. You know? James Douglas Morrison, sweetie. All right, go Cubs. See you guys. That's our show, friends. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt outstanding. And if you want to continue feeling this outstanding, go to zenparentingradio.com and subscribe to the podcast. You can also subscribe via iTunes, and while you're there, feel free to give us a kind review. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. To reach us, you can send us a message at comments at zenparentingradio.com, or you can record a voice message through our website and ask any question you want. Go to Amazon or our website to find Kathy's first two books and her most recent award-winning book, Living What You Want Your Kids to Learn, The Power of Self-Aware Parenting. You can also subscribe to her Practicing Realness blog for her most up-to-date writing. If you're interested in The Tribe, the men's group that I co-facilitate, go to thetribemensgroup.com. We're grateful for your support and encouragement. We only ask that you give the same to yourself and the people you love most. Until next time.